This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. chapter 7, beginning with verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. You may be seated this morning or this evening. This morning I shared with you about the living water and the well of salvation and the well of the Holy Ghost. I also shared with you that according to Scripture, this river has not run dry. It is still flowing here freely tonight. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter stood up and prophesied and quoted from the great prophet Joel, He said, in the last day, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That word pour is a continual action, one which has begun and not stopped. Aren't you thankful that his spirit is still being poured out upon us? I'm thankful tonight to know that the spirit of God is for every generation and for every people. He is here tonight to flood us with his glory and to give us a deluge of his power and his splendor. Now in our text, the scripture said that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's plural. That's multiple rivers. Now what I see in this text is that it was God's intention for every believer to have the rivers flowing through them. Now I'm going to make a bold statement and some may disagree, but I believe that through this text it can be proven. It was never God's intention for his church to be non-Pentecostal. Only two of you agreed with me. It was never God's intention for his church to be non-Pentecostal. He said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then this word tells us that you should receive the blessed promise of the Holy Ghost. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Now, here's a problem. I believe that this river should not only be flowing in in every individual, but it should also be flowing in every congregation. It should be flowing freely in every church, in every community of faith, in every body of believers. But unfortunately, we are living in a day and time where there are many, even in the ranks of Pentecost, who are trying to stop the flow of the river in our churches. We have so many that look at this Pentecostal experience as some antiquated event or something in history that the church needed just to get us started. Now, I am no mechanic, and I know nothing more than hardly able to pump gas into my car. But this one thing I do know, that if it takes gas to get my car started, 
It's going to take gas to keep my car going. Now, if you want to make the claim that it took the Holy Ghost to get the church started, then my argument, well, if it took the Holy Ghost to get it started, isn't it going to take the Holy Ghost to keep it going? You see, we have this issue in the church where too many are trying to stop the flow of the Spirit of God in our congregations. They say we do not want manifestations of the Spirit of God, and they do not want the tongues talking in the church, and they do not want the prophecy, they do not want the gifts of the Spirit to to be in operation. But I want to tell you, my friend, if there's ever been a day when we need the river flowing, if there's ever been an hour when we need the Spirit of God in operation, it is in this church age in which we live. If we do not have the river of the Spirit of God flowing, then we are not the church that God has called us to be. For without the anointing of the Holy Ghost, we are impotent. Without the anointing of the Spirit of God, we are nothing. Without Him, we cannot do, we cannot live, we cannot act without the glory of the Holy Ghost we are nothing neighbor I want to remind you it is not by might it is not by power he said it is by my spirit saith the Lord of hosts oh yeah you see we have those trying to dam up the flow of the river and we have those that are trying to stop the spirit of God from moving now see I'm one of these people that, that try to think logically. How in the world is this happening? In a day when fewer and fewer of our members in the Pentecostal church are filled with the Spirit of God, how is this happening? In fewer and fewer churches are we even seeing a moving of God. Now you have a different opportunity than I do. I'm in a different church every week of my life, have been for nine years. And the way it looks, it will be for this year and also already part of next year. And, and so I'm in a different church all the time. And one of the things that I see, unlike you, because you are in a body of believers, you, you, you have the privilege, and it is a privilege, my friend, to be a part of a church. Uh, somebody say amen to that. It's a privilege to be a part of a church. But I see so many churches that lack the river of the Holy Ghost. You never see anointed singing, and you never see anointed preaching, and, and you very rarely see the moving of the Spirit in operation, and it grieves my heart. And I think to myself, God, how in the world did this happen? Well, my father, who was an avid camper, invited his family to go with him one evening to a state park. When we got to this state park, this park ranger told us, now you can camp over here, you can camp over here, but you cannot camp over here. Now, inquiring minds said, why can we not camp over here? He said, because a beaver has come to that area of the river and has dammed it up, and there's an entire section of the river that is not flowing, and we're trying to figure out what to do to get rid of this beaver. Now, me, being very obedient, said, okay, well, I'm not camping there, but he did not say I could not go over there. So I make my way through the woods and I get over there and when I get there I discover this huge dam that has been built by this tiny beaver and it goes from one side of the bank to the other side of the bank in a cross corner and literally everything over here has stopped moving. Now as I begin to investigate this dam something very interesting came to my, to my vision. There was not one pine tree in that dam. Pastor, not one oak tree was in that dam. How easy it would have been, Brother Gore, if he would have just gone and cut down a pine tree and shoved it in that corner of the river to stop the river from flowing. 
But instead, what he did is he, he would go gather little twigs, some six to eight inches long, and with his tail, he would patch some mud up top of it and, and build this dam up high. And eventually, he built it so thick and so high and so wide that literally it stopped all the water from moving in that section of the river. And you know, some things began to mess with me. Because so many times we like to point our fingers and say, well, you know, if we didn't have so much homosexuality in the church, the river would still flow. And if we didn't have so much adultery in the church, the river would still flow. But being in a different church every week and being in those churches where the Spirit of God is not in operation, I have found out that it's not those big things that are stopping the Spirit of God from flowing in our church. Oftentimes, it's the little stuff. It's the little things that we have allowed over the years to pile up on top of each other that has kept the Spirit of God from moving. It might not be homosexuality. It might not be adultery. But it just could be that rotten attitude that you want into the house of God with. It just might be that chip on your shoulder where you say, I dare somebody to knock it off. It just could be that root of bitterness. It could be that unforgiveness. It could be that seed of rebellion against God's word. I want to tell you, my friend, it is time that we not stop worrying about the big things, but it's time that we also start focusing on the little things that are keeping God from moving in the house of God. Until we get rid of the little stuff, we can't deal with the big stuff. Come on now. Until we get rid of the gossiping and until we get rid of the lying, until we get rid of the backbiting, until we get rid of the small little things that have piled up on us, we cannot deal with the large things that are hindering the church from moving forward. Now, of course, me being a researcher by nature, I go to the greatest form of research you can find, <laughs> the Internet. And so I began to search, how do you get rid of a beaver dam and this video on YouTube pops up and if it's on YouTube you know it is theologically based and uh, it, it showed me how they get rid of beaver dams literally they would take a group of people and they would place sticks of dynamite all throughout that dam and, and this gentleman with a device in his hand would go several yards away and with one touch of his finger an explosion began to take place and piece by piece that dam began to rupture and twig by twig what that beaver had built and what had taken so long to get there in one split second that dynamite blew it all to pieces and, and then that river not only trickled over and, and that river not not only slowly, freely move, but like a rushing river, it just began to rush and it began to flow and, and there was a mighty stream that was built up. Now I got excited because God speaks through YouTube. <laughs> because you see, one of the words that is used for the power of the Spirit in the New Testament is a word that we know so familiar. It is dunamis. And that is the Greek word in which we derive our English word, dynamite. You see, I have learned that there are two types of people in the church. There are those that build the dams and there are those that blow them up. Yeah. And you see, we always will have those people in the church. That on this side, they're going to say, we're not going to have a moving of the spirit no matter what. 
We're not going to allow the Spirit of God to move because it's embarrassing. And we're not going to have the Spirit of God move because we don't want it to be a reflection upon us. And we're not going to allow that kind of moving in the house of God. And then you've got those on the other side that'll say, God, while they're building that dam, if you would just give us a little bit of dynamite, we'll blow up everything they're trying to stop. If you'll just give us an explosion of your power, we'll stop everything they're trying to hinder. I want to tell you, friend, I did not come to build a dam this week. My God, I brought a stick of dynamite with me, and I'm warning you, if you try to hinder it, I've got a mechanism right here that says all I've got to do is push the button and that... My God, I just felt the Holy Ghost. Somebody needs an explosion of the power of God in your church. You see, you can try to dam it up all you want to, but there's always going to be a people that says, God, I've got to have an explosion of your power. I need the river of the Holy Ghost flowing, neighbor. I want to tell you tonight the river is going to flow with or without you no matter how you try to hinder it. God's always going to have an explosion of his power. Oh, somebody lift up your hand and help me preach here tonight. You see, here's the problem I found with that section of the river that had been dammed up. If you've ever been to a water source that was dammed up, you will discover that the water has become stale, has become stagnant, and truthfully, just stinky. You know, we have a lot of churches that fit that bill. Because they lack the river of the Spirit of God, they have become stale in their worship. Because there is no flowing of the Spirit, they have become stagnant in their evangelism. And because there is no river flowing, their lifestyles have become stinky. Now, I know this isn't going to be popular with you tonight because this is an unpopular subject. But the reason we need this river flowing is because the river flowing cleans up the trash. Yeah. You see, when a river is not flowing, the trash that is on the bank, that is blown into the water by the wind, begins to accumulate. And what will eventually happen is all of that trash will build up to the point that this dirty, nasty fungus just builds up all over top of the water. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never seen one of those water sources where I said, you know, I want to jump into that. It's repugnant. It's dirty. It's filthy. It's smelly. I, I don't want anything to do with that. Well, can I tell you that's exactly the way many of our churches are? Because we have no river flowing in the church, the trash that is built up on the banks of the world because of the winds of time, it has blown it into our water source. And what has happened is because we have become stale, stagnant, and stinky, the world looks at us and says, that's a repugnant river. I don't want to get into that. I don't want to be a part of that because there's no movement, because there's no life, because there is no river. I want to tell you, friend, when the Holy Ghost comes, what he does is he stirs the river up. And that trash that's been built up and all the that doth so easily beset us that has accumulated when the Holy Ghost comes he'll clean that mess out 
Oh, yeah. I want to tell you why many of our churches do not want the river flowing. Because they have grown comfortable in that sin that has built up. Oh, God's going to help me right here. You see, we have an issue of sin in the church. Preacher, are you telling us that sin abounds in the house of God? Just ask Paul the apostle in 1 Corinthians. To them which are sanctified. That's how he began. The entire book was, you're doing something wrong. There's sexual sin in your church. Uh, anybody notice any sexual sins in the church? We have entire denominations that are allowing homosexuals to be ordained and to be married in their altars. And we have churches that are allowing adulterers and fornicators to continue to preach the gospel simply because they are a great orator or because they have a charismatic personality. And we will allow those sins to, to, to sit in the house of God simply because, well, just maybe they're the biggest tithe payers or because maybe they have the most influence in the congregation. And yes, my friend, there is a sexual problem in the house of God. And he looked at that church in Corinth and he said, not only do you have sexual problems, he said, but some of you have a haughty spirit. Some of you are trying to be better than everybody else. And that's why you're even trying to use the gifts of the spirit to show people how good you are. Oh, we've got a lot of that in the church, don't we? If they can report how many people they've had slain in the spirit and how many people they have had filled with the Holy Ghost, then surely I've got to have my name somewhere because I'm an exciting personality. I want to tell you, my friend, there is a Holy Spirit in the house of God that only the Holy Ghost can get rid of that mess. Oh, yeah. And, and you see, there is sins in the church that we are not dealing with because we do not have the anointing to deal with it. Now, I know we can become fanatics on two ends of the spectrum. Yet I also understand that we must not ever get to a place in the house of God where we no longer call sin, sin. Oh, wait just a moment. I felt a little kickback on that one. There should never be a time where we do not call sin, sin. You see, we can float with the sin of the culture and we can allow those things to float in on us. But we must never allow the sins of the culture to become the sin of the body of Christ. Oh, yeah. It's okay when the boat gets in the water, but it's all wrong when the water gets in the boat. It's all right when the garden gets in the weeds, but it's all wrong when the weeds get inside of the garden. It's all right when the church is in the world, but honey, it's all wrong when the world gets inside of the church. We cannot have the sin of the flesh. We cannot have the sin of the world inside of the house of God. My Bible tells me to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith God, and touch not the unclean thing. My Bible tells me to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the love of the Father, there is not in them. Oh, yeah. You see, we cannot allow those things in the house of God. But where the Spirit of God is not flowing, the sin will pile up. You know what happens? If we allow sin on the front row Sunday morning, it'll be sitting on the second row Sunday night. And if we allow it to sit on the second row Sunday night, by Wednesday night it'll be on the back row. And by the end of the month it'll be in every position, it'll be in every pew, and even behind the pulpit. I want to tell you, my friend, I believe that God is calling us to have an explosion of his power to break up the dams that are, that are keeping the Spirit of God from flowing. My Bible tells me that the purpose of the Holy Ghost coming into the house of God is to reprove and to rebuke of sin and of unrighteousness. I want to tell the church of God tonight, what we need is a power 
explosion to allow the river of God to clean the sin out of our lives. We do not have to point out everybody's sin when the river's flowing. When the sinner walks into the river, there's going to be a conviction come over them that they can no longer stand themselves in their sin. You don't have to call them out every Sunday when they walk into the house of God and there's a river flowing. There's going to be something that's going to want to clean themselves up. There's going to be something in the house of God that'll want to purge them. I want to tell you, neighbor, we better have the river flowing to clean the sin out of the body of Christ. Uh, but see, here's the thing. We must not only have the river flowing to clean us up. We must also have this river flowing to give us power. Now, the Hoover Dam is one of the greatest man-made resources for energy, for power. <laughs> Some of you are looking a little confused. Preacher, you just said that dams are a bad thing. No, you've got to understand there's two types of dams. There are those that stop the flowing of the river, and there are those that control the river. Now some of you are, are even more confused. Preacher, are you telling me that we must control the river flowing? You better. You better. Pardon me for a moment. I might offend somebody right here. I am Pentecostal through and through. I believe in the gift of the Spirit. I am Pentecostal not by affiliation. I am Pentecostal by experience. I have been baptized in the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. I believe in the worship. Nobody likes to shout more than Michael Ball. Nobody gets more excited than Michael Ball. But there's been a whole lot of crazy mess happen under the guise of the Pentecost. Oh, yeah. You know, pardon me. Pentecost has a tendency to attract craziness. I'm here through Wednesday. <laughs> we have a tendency to attract craziness. And, and I love those people, Pastor Darren, who will come up and say, well, when the Holy Ghost comes on me, I just can't help myself. Yes, you can. Well, you know, I just can't quench the Holy Ghost. When he moves, I've got to move. When he moves, I've got to speak. When he moves, I've just got, sometimes I just lose control then you're an unbiblical Christian. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're shouting now. Yeah. I heard someone not long ago make the statement. And they said we had Holy Ghost pandemonium tonight. I said, no, you didn't. Because the definition of pandemonium is disorder. The phrase Holy Ghost and disorder do not go together. You cannot have one and the same. You either have the Holy Ghost or you have disorder. Oh, God, help me right here. You see, for those of you who, who don't think that you can control yourself, who, who say, well, you know, I just, I, I just got to flow with the Spirit of God. I want to tell you, friend, you better be very careful because everything that Paul writes about in the Scripture said that when it is done under the guises of Pentecost, when it is done under the name of the Holy Ghost, it better be done decently and in order. Preacher, are you telling me that I must control the Spirit of God? Absolutely. Because the Bible tells me that the Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. 
That means that just because he possesses you does not mean that he makes you lose your faculties. You don't have to act crazy under the guises of Pentecost. In fact, can I tell you, if it does anything, then lift up the name of Jesus Christ. If it does anything, then give edification to the body of Christ. It is disorder and it does not belong in the house of God. Paul the Apostle said that the gifts of the Spirit, the operation, the river flowing in the house of God, it will not be repulsive to other people, but it will bring the sinner to a saving knowledge of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, it should never give give a black eye to the Savior. It should never give a bad name to the church. I want to tell somebody here tonight, a out-of-control river is just as repugnant as a stale, stagnant, stinky river. Oh, yeah. We have those that like to, you know, give these off-the-wall prophecies. Anybody ever had that happen to them? Huh. I hope I don't begin to meddle here. God will help me if I do. I'll never forget, I, I was... Just starting out in ministry, I was an associate for my father. And uh, I was invited by a church, one in our denomination, to come and do a homecoming afternoon music service. And I told them, okay, I will be there at 2 o'clock to begin to set up. And uh, I had all those people with me that were going to do the music, and we were setting our things up, going to set our things up. So we went to eat lunch. We got there at 2 o'clock. When we got there, they were still in the middle of service. Now, some of you are saying, praise God, 2 o'clock. No. I walked in. The preacher was popping people in the head with a hanky, throwing his coat on them, blowing all over them. They'd fall down, and they'd get right back up. You know, I love these CD Christians, those courtesy drop that'll fall for anybody for anything. All under the guise of the Pentecost. And, and eventually, it, things were rolling, and, and I looked at him, or looked at my wife, and I said, he's getting ready to call us out. We were sitting on the back row. She said, he's not going to call us out. We just got here. I said, he's going to call us out. Now, I have never placed a bet in my life. I looked at her right in the back of the Church of God church. I said, I'll put $5 on it. He's going to call us out. <laughs> Yeah. And sure enough, he said, this couple that just came in, God told me to tell you to come down here. And I looked at Sandra, my wife, and I just grinned at her. I was excited, you know. He calls us down there, and he looks at us, and boy, he starts going through the motions, and he's waving back and forth, and all of a sudden, he gets drunk in the spirit. And next thing you know, he looks at me, and he says, God told me to tell y'all the devil's been trying to kill your marriage. I looked at him, I said, no, he hadn't. <laughs> of course, his eyes got the size of silver dollars, Brother Gore, because right in the middle of a congregation that he just prophesied over us, I told him he was wrong. And he looked at me and he said, well, I know what God told me. I said, which God? And then he stopped and he said, well, the Holy Ghost has told me you have an anger issue. I said, I don't, but I'm getting ready to. And by this time, the pastor starts coming around the corner because he realizes something's not right. And this man, when I told him that, he said, well, I'm just going to pray for you real quick. And I backed up one step, and my wife turned around and looked at me. And before she could back up, he had laid his hands upon her. He said a quick little prayer and walked out the door. Brother Ball, who was out of order? You or him? Thank you for asking. 
Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians that if anything is done under the guise of the Pentecost, then it better be judged by the body of Christ, whether or not it was of God, whether it was the devil, or whether it was man. And we better have enough of the discerning of spirits in our heart that we can judge between right and wrong when people say it's the Holy Ghost. He will never cause confusion in the body of Christ. He will never cause disorder in the church. When it is the Holy Ghost, the river will flow, and it will flow properly and in order. Oh, that's good preaching. I almost blessed myself. The Hoover Dam, let me get back to my sermon, please. The Hoover Dam is one of the greatest natural or one of the greatest man-made resources for energy. But see, it was built not to stop the river. It was built to control it. Inside of that dam are tunnels, and inside of those tunnels are turbines. And when the river flows through those tunnels, it, it moves those turbines, and those turbines begin to roll. And as they do, there is a mechanism inside of it that begins to cause friction, which in tune causes electricity. Now, it, it gives power not only to the people of that city, not only of that county, not only of that state, but in the entire region of the U.S. Now, should they not have the river flowing? If somebody went to plug in their vacuum cleaner, they could get nothing done. Because where there is no river, there is no power. If the river were not flowing properly, when someone turned their dishwasher or their dryer or washing machine on, they could get nothing done. For where there is no river, there is no power. Could it be that the reason so few of our churches are getting anything done is because there's no river? And when there is no river, there is no Power? You know what the Bible tells me in Acts 1 and 8, that you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. There's that dunamis again. And, and it's not an explosion in the sense that we think of. You see, it literally means the ability to act or the power to perform. That means that when the Holy Ghost comes on you, the river will flow so strongly that you can get something done for God. Well, I'll tell you why many of our churches are failing. It's because they have no river flowing, giving the people power to get anything done. And, and it, it burdens me, Pastor, when week after week I have ministers call me who I, I fellowship with and are in covenant with, who, who we just talk and they'll say, you know, I just don't get it. One pastor told me, running more than 70 people in his church, I cannot find one qualified, committed worker in my church. Not long ago, our second assistant general overseer contacted me concerning some USA missions projects, and we began to discuss some issues in the local church of America. And, and we began to talk about the issues that we're facing and some of the problems that we have in this nation for our American churches are too few workers in the church. A friend of my mother's who goes to a church, over 600 people, Jonathan, over 600 people, wanted to have vacation Bible school three years ago and could not have it because they could not find enough people to work in vacation Bible school. 600 people, and you can't find enough people? Friend, 
that's not a commitment problem, that's a power problem. You see, here's the fact of the matter. A Christian, a body of believers who have a river flowing, there's going to be something turning the turbine. There's going to be some friction in the soul. There's going to be some electricity being produced. And, and when that anointing, that river starts flowing through you, you're not just going to sit idly by on some pew and worship every once in a while on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. No, when that river is flowing, you're going to be knocking on the door of the pastor saying, Pastor, I've got to do something for God. I've got to reach out to somebody and help somebody. Is there anything I can do for the kingdom of God? I want to tell you, friend, when you have this river flowing in your church, pastors, let me give you some hope that when the river is flowing in the house of God, you're going to find more people than you have places to put them in. You're going to find more volunteers than work that needs to be done. When the river of God is flowing in the house of God, people are going to want to do something for the Lord God Almighty. Oh, hear me, church of God. The reason we need this river flowing is we've got a work that has to be done. There is a harvest that needs to be brought in. There are sheaves that need to be brought in. Until we get to that place where we have the anointing of the Holy Ghost, that kind of work will not be done. No, that's why we can't find people to teach Sunday school. That's why we have people complaining about having to do the nursery. Huh. And that's why we have so few people wanting to fill pulpits. Oh, yeah. When the river's not flowing, no work can be done. Which kind of leads me into my last point. Now, a work that must be done. When this power comes upon you, what is it for? To be what? Witnesses unto me. Now, here's the thing. Jesus has instructed us that he has called us to be fishers of men. Anybody in here like to fish? Huh. You know, I asked that same question one time. Nobody raised their hand. I think they thought I was going to preach on fishing or something. But <coughs> I am not a fisherman. One, I'm allergic to everything outdoors, so most of my activity cannot be outdoors. Two, I'd rather eat it than catch it. Three, I only sleep about four hours a night. And so normally I'm just going to bed about the time most people are going fishing. So I normally sleep between the hours of 3 and 7 o'clock. And so I figure if I'm crazy enough to stay up that late and you're crazy enough to go fishing, then we probably just don't need to do it together. But this man in my father's home church, I was just a little boy. He came out, and we, we have more than five acres of open property. That's not including where the church is and all the other facilities. And This is just an open piece of property, no trees or anything on it. And he was an avid fisherman, so he came to the parsonage one day, and he calls my dad out. He said, oh, I want to show you this rod and reel I just bought. It's the top of the line. You know, they used to use bamboo sticks, and now we have top of the line fishing poles. <laughs> People buy those when they can't catch fish, you know. So. And so he said, this is the number one reel that you can buy on the market today. He said, all the pros use it. He said, let me show you how smooth it is. Now, 
I don't know much about fishing, so he had one of those little pyramid-looking weights on the end of it, no hooks but just a weight. And he said, watch how smooth this thing casts. And he cast that thing out, and it, God is my witness, it looked like it went a mile. And he's standing there grinning at my dad, reeling it in. The whole time, he's just standing there grinning. And, and I kept noticing, and I kept watching. And as he got that weight just to his feet and lifted it up, I noticed one thing. There was no fish. <laughs> it did not matter how great the rod. It did not matter how great the reel. When you have no water, you catch no fish. If we are called to be fishers of men and yet we have no river in our church, how are we ever going to catch them? Oh, that's good preaching right there. You see, according to reports, I'm a statistic person because numbers do not lie. According to reports, we have lost at least 3% of our congregations of America every single year since 1999. Every single year. And 65% of this nation has no religious affiliation at all. And the church constantly declining, and people are dying. You know, it is appointed unto man once to die. Eventually, we're all going to die. And the problem is we have nobody filling the pews that we've left empty. And as the population is exploding, the church is declining. Could it be the reason we're not catching any? It's because we don't have a river. To catch them in. Oh yeah. And then we want to complain because. Well I don't understand. It. I, I just don't understand how in the world we're not winning people. Now I'm going to make a very bold statement. And I hope no one is offended. But I do this every week. And I hear people constantly talking about certain individuals and. Oh, well, they're having multiplied hundreds and dozens and all this saved and all that. And I praise God if it's truly happening. But I, here's the thing I'm seeing. When I go to revivals, the people aren't inviting sinners to come to church. It's amazing. You can claim to have 15 people saved out of 30 people in the church. So you're telling me that half the church were sinners? No, that's not how it's working. No. You see... When the river's not flowing and, and we're doing everything we can to, to fluff the numbers, we have to do that because it makes ourselves feel good. That some activity's going on when actually what we're doing is just lying about it. Oh, yeah. You see, without a river flowing, you're not going to catch a fish. And then we have those churches where there's just enough river that we might catch one or two. But here's what I hear the problem is then. Well, I don't understand it, Brother Ball. I get one in the front door and two out the back door. And, and you know what I hear constantly? Well, I just don't understand why we're losing so many people. And, and they're going from this church to the other church, and it's, I just don't understand it. Huh. I don't know. We had been married some three months. Pastor, there was a longing in our hearts. We just desired to have something to fill that longing. 
It wasn't a baby. We were arguing over what kind of pet we were going to get. I did not want a cat. She did not want a dog. So we settled on a fish. So I go to the local pet store, and I, I go buying this beautiful tank. Just the one they told me to get. And, and I happened to build this little fish tank to fit this fish perfectly. I bought these beautiful little flat marble-looking rocks that had blue and silver all in it. Now, I was living in an apartment, only married three months, and yet I bought that fish a two-story house. <laughs> I got a, a palm tree so when he wanted to come out in the afternoons, he could sit under there and rest. <laughs> now, I did everything to the T that the lady at the pet store told me to do. I, I cleaned the tank. I gave it the proper environment. I fed it accordingly. I'd come in, and I'd just stand there and look at that fish. I was proud. Every time I walked in, he was just swimming. I mean, going to town. Fins flapping everywhere from one side of the fish tank to the next. And about week two, something began to disturb me. Not one time has he slept in that house I bought him. And not one time have I ever seen him just laying up underneath that palm tree, swimming all the time. I come in one day after week three, belly up. Being spiritual, we gave him a proper burial. <laughs> so I looked at Sandra and I said, Sandra, I said, I just wasted some money. I'm going to go back down there and get me another fish. I said, it must have come out of a bad tank, or this must be a bad fish. So I thought, well, this time I'm going to buy something more exotic, something more beautiful. And, you know, your first child, you know, you miss it, but you want to do something better. <laughs> and, and so I get this really nice fish, and I put it in there. I'd come, and I'd just stand there and look at it constantly, just swimming. Week two. This one's just as crazy as the other one. I never see him asleep. I never see him resting. All he's doing is swimming from one end to the other. Week three, belly up. I told my wife, I said, that's it. I walked into that pet store. I looked at the lady. I said, man, you have some dud fish in here. <laughs> she said, Mr. Ball, tell me what, what, what's wrong. I said, I have bought two fish in the span of six weeks. And after the third week, both of them were dead. And Mr. Baltic, tell me, how, what was the fish like? I mean, I said, it swam all the time. It never slowed down. Well, Mr. Baltic, you had the right environment. Did you clean the tank out properly? Yeah. Did you feed it correctly? Exactly like you told me. She said, well, what about the pump? Did you clean that out whenever you cleaned everything else? And I said, what pump are you talking about? <laughs> she said, Mr. Ball, I showed you that, that the pump that I told you to buy for your tank. <laughs> I killed my fish. <laughs> she said, Mr. Ball, you have to have that pump to keep these fish alive. 
She said, did you not know that fish need oxygen just like humans? <laughs> no, I did not know that. I live up here. They live down there. She said, Mr. Ball, they have to have oxygen, but it comes differently than yours. She said, in order for them to have oxygen inside of that water, there must be an inflow and an outflow in order for oxygen to be produced. What I learned is my fish were literally working themselves to death just to live. Oh, I'm getting ready to preach. You see, when I hear all these preachers saying, you know, I get one in the front door and two out the back, here's where I find the problem. What happens is as soon as we get one caught, what we want to do is immediately throw them into a position. We immediately want to tell them, well, you need to be in the praise and worship team. You need to be a part of the ladies' ministries. And, and surely you know you've got to be an usher and you need to be on the cleanup committee. And, and what we do is we try to get them involved and work them and work them and work them because we're afraid that if we do not work them, they will not stay in the fish tank. But here's what I'm learning, my friend. What is happening to those people is instead of giving them a river, giving them a water source that is providing a life-giving oxygen, what we're doing is working them to death so finally they get weary in well doing they get tired of having to work for their salvation and they're hitting the door as quickly as they come in and then some of you will make the statement well they must not have gotten what I got when I got saved Oh, they didn't found that good old religion like I found when I got saved. No, my friend, the difference was when you got saved, there was a river flowing in your church, and all you had to do was come and rest under the tree of life, and all you had to do was rest in his presence and allow the river to flow on top of you and to help you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. What we have today is a problem with the river. We do not have a problem with the harvest. We do not have a problem with getting sinners. What we have is is a problem having the river to catch them and the river to keep them. Oh, yeah. And then, Tim, what I love is, well, what about the young people? We're losing all of our young people. And, and, and you know what they're doing? They're going from this church to this church. And, and I hear these churches complain because they say, well, you know, it, it's got to be because they have a better music program. Or it's got to be because there's a larger youth group. It must be because they have Friday night activities. No, it's not. It's because they're trying to find a tank they can find life in. Oh, yeah. You see, here's, here's something I learned about fish. I, I, I went and looked this up again on the Internet. And because I thought it was so un real. I actually went and researched it properly. And I discovered that when a fish is ready to produce, it does not go to a stale, stagnant, stinky water source because there's no movement. There's no oxygen. But they also do not go to that white water rapid because the water is rushing so rapidly 
it just washes them away. What they do is they go to that water source where the river's flowing properly, where it's cool and refreshing, and they will produce, and they will lay their eggs right there where there is the most life-giving oxygen. And what will happen is they will crack open through those eggs, and they will live there long enough to raise them up to be able to go out on their own. But guess what happens? When it is time for them to produce, you know where they're going to go? They're going to go back to the very same place they found life. The very same place where they found the oxygen that they needed to grow properly. And then when their babies run away and go off, when it's time for them to produce, once again, they're going to come back to the exact same place. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying if you have a river flowing, your children, they may run off for a little while, but when it's time for them to have their babies, they're going to say, you know, I remember it was at the Sapona Road Church of God that my Mom and daddy raised me and I remember seeing people healed. I remember seeing people delivered. I remember seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost and that's the place I want to take my babies. I want to tell you, you won't have a problem losing your children if you have a river flowing. It doesn't matter the style of the music you play. It doesn't matter the decor of your sanctuary. It doesn't matter the program or the activity. When you have the river of the Holy Ghost flowing, there's going to be a life-giving source. They're going to want to be in that river. I got to close. You see, we've got to have this river. Because without the river flowing, the sin will rest. There will be no power to perform. And there will be no fish being caught, nor growing in our churches. You see, the burden of my heart is simple. Sinners being saved. The saved being sanctified. The sanctified being filled with the Spirit and the church being a harvest-producing church. None of those things will happen without the river of God flowing. As I shared with you, Tina, would you, would you guys mind coming and playing something for the altar for me? You see, the reason I mentioned to you this morning about how God gave me this particular scripture and I have preached multiple messages off of this text. Different topics, different points. Is because while walking down that church aisle several months ago, asking God, Lord, give me a word for your people. When I heard the Spirit of God say, just tell them out of your belly. Shall flow rivers of living water. I realized he was not just speaking to me to speak to you. He was also speaking to me. That if I was to be what I was to be, it would not come because of my education. It would not come because of my position. It would come when the Spirit of God is flowing not only in me, but out of me. Church of God, I believe that everywhere we go, we should testify of the well of salvation which Jesus spoke of in this text. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. We should testify of the well of the Spirit of God. 
For out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. You know what I see here? I see an inflow and an outflow, a cycle. The well of salvation is the inflow. He said, I'll fill you up with salvation. But the well of the Spirit is the outflow. He said, not only will I give you something to drink, but out of your belly will flow. Can I tell you that I believe that everywhere we go, there should be a residue of the river? If you truly have tasted of the well of salvation, and if you have truly tasted of the well of the Holy Ghost, that means he not only dwells in you, but he's coming out of you. I have a vivid imagination in thinking about this. I, I thought about many of you who will go to work in the morning and walk into your office and sit down. Moments will go by and your co-worker will walk by you and as they walk by you spiritually, their foot slips. What was that? You see, when you have it in you, It'll flow out of you. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. When you go to Food Lion, that manager who's walking down aisle number six right by you while you're picking up some ketchup for your children, when they walk by you, their foot just slides. What was that? Oh, it was just a residue of the river. And, and, and more importantly, your pastor said something this morning that just hit me. He, he talked about every 30 minutes that water that goes out. That was perfect. I'm glad that you have that issue. Because I'm going to preach on it. You see, in the physical, you have water that pours out of here. And without question, you will see it. In fact, he said you may even walk through it in the parking lot. You see, if you have a river flowing out of you, when that sinner walks into your parking lot, their foot is going to slide because they just stepped into a river that's flowing. And when that crackhead and that alcoholic and that prostitute, that homosexual, that adulterer, when they step onto this property, when you have the river flowing, they're immediately going to slide in it because something in there is moving. Something in there is stirring. There is a river that's flowing out of here. And when those who are sick and infirm walk in those doors, oh, they're going to walk into a river. It's going to be a river that overtakes them, a river that covers them. It will flood them. Several years ago, our area was tragically covered in water. The place where I live, we had more roads washed out than any other area in the state. For weeks, no school. I believe that was some here too. But I'll never forget our church connected with Operation Compassion and God's pit crew and several other organizations and in feeding people. I'll never forget we were carrying 
food to a shelter where hundreds of people had been displaced. This was day one. As we were driving down Highway 70, I looked over and the river had come for miles. But it was just to the yellow line. Not even a quarter of a mile was our destination. We get there. We unload everything. Talk to the person in charge. If you need anything, let us know. That quick. We got back into our vehicles and started traveling back a quarter of a mile. That's all it was. 20 minutes earlier, it was to the yellow line. 20 minutes later, it's six inches up the tire all the way across the highway. You see, God's river, he's wanting to flow just like that tonight. He's wanting to come into your church. He's wanting to come into your life so quickly that it doesn't, it doesn't just come up creepingly, but it overtakes you suddenly. And you see, I know it's an old cliche, and I don't like preaching cliches. It's overdone. But I don't want this river just to be ankle deep. Nor do I want it knee deep, waist deep, neck deep. I want to be drowned in the flood. 